We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Tuesday, October the 29th, 2019, and on today's show, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath joins me to break down just what went wrong in South Carolina's 41-21 loss to Tennessee on Saturday. We talk about everything from secondary play to play calling to the play of Ryan Holinsky, coaching the future of the South Carolina football program, and much, much more. Before we dive into everything, this is a podcast coming to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Manscaped, number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Guys, Manscaped is an absolute must-have. We've all been there, right? We're all getting ready to go out. We're, we have a date with the missus. Whether you have a girlfriend, a wife, a girl you really like that you're trying to, trying to talk to, you need to be able to groom and do it comfortably. So we've all been there. We get a nick. We get a cut. It's the worst feeling thing ever. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer and has changed the game as far as manscaping is concerned. Their lawnmower 2.0 is proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Guys, like I talked about before, I've used the Manscaped products. I've used the lawnmower 2.0. It is an absolute game changer. It's going to save you as far as when you're getting ready, when you're getting right, when you need to do your manscaping. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And of course, guys, the number one rule you don't want to do, the number one thing you want to, don't want to do besides nicking or snagging your nuts is use the same trimmer on your face that you use on your balls. Guys, that's just disgusting. You don't want to do that. That is gross. Please do not do that. Manscaped's also got the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, right, before you have to go somewhere. I hope you do. Why not put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Again, if you go right now to manscaped.com, use the promo code GAMECOCKS. They're going to give you 20% off, plus they're going to give you free shipping. Look, Listen, the stuff's already not very expensive, but I'm giving you 20% off and free shipping with the promo code GameCox when you go to manscaped.com. Make sure, guys, always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you later. Again, that's manscaped.com. Use the promo code GameCox to get 20% off plus free shipping on your order. All right, let's get into it. your host the Spurs Up Show as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Joining me today on Tuesday as he does every single Tuesday, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath. Alex played for South Carolina from 2005 to 2008. 
and he joins me today to try to help make sense of what happened in Knoxville, Tennessee over the weekend. Gamecocks dropping that one 41-21 Tennessee. First off, Alex, appreciate you taking the time as always, man. How's everything going? How was your weekend? That was good, man. It was good. I was in a fortunate position. Uh, we do a mountain trip with my family every weekend, and when we got up there Friday, I uh, discovered we had no uh, cell service from AT&T, and the uh, Wi-Fi was broken in the <laughs> house we were in. So it was a little uh, closer to a little house on the prairie experience, but it really <laughs> saved me a lot of probable heartache and anger posting on social media. Yeah, I, I think we could all be, I was going to say, I think we could all benefit from that type of setup. Just cut off all the internet, cut off the social media. We'll talk to you on Monday morning, but especially after a game like on Saturday. But let's just, let's talk about it. Let's dive into it. 41 21 game. South Carolina loses, uh, obviously up at halftime in a game where, I, you know, I think a lot of fans, including myself, you know, I, I think you could have seen the loss happen. I mean, I, it, it was definitely within the, the realm of possibility. You know, South Carolina was just a four point favorite. You know, Tennessee had been playing better football, give them some credit, but to lose the way they did in the fashion they did and to get beaten every fast of the game. First off, Alex, just talk about the clock at zero. What are your initial thoughts after watching that game? Oh, um, well, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And one that I would uh, ask that are you looking for, like, where are we at? What are we doing? Or like what went wrong in the game? I guess just more so like, cause I, I told you, like I was more shocked at the end of the game and then it turned into, you know, being upset with some of the way that things went. <clears throat> I mean, was it as clear to you as like, this needs to happen? Or I mean, what, cause I, like I said, me, I was just in utter shock to see the final score of that game. I could not believe what I was watching after South Carolina two weeks ago or three weeks ago now, maybe, I don't know, beats Georgia. Then you play a top 10 Florida team close. You have the lead going to the fourth quarter. Like I really, you know, I told myself part of the reason I was making the prediction, I probably was thinking too much in my heart, not my head, but I really expected this South Carolina team. I thought maybe they had turned a corner. I really expected them to come out, Ryan Linsky to play better them to put together four good quarters, and if nothing else, compete and possibly win the football game. I was shocked. I was shocked at how it went down. I mean, I would, I would like to say that I was entirely shocked by it, but, I mean, this is just this is par for the course for what we've seen for the last four years. So I don't know what to take away from it other than, you know, again, we walk out there completely listless and seemingly – unprepared and we caught a Tennessee team playing desperate and hungry and we apparently wanted no part of that for sure so unbelievably frustrating but that's where we are I I know the main thing Alex you know everybody wants to talk about including you know myself obviously we're going to get to it is is Will Muschamp and you know the coaching staff as a whole offensive defensive coordinators what needs to happen? What does the future look like? But let's start on the field, and then we'll get to Muschamp and the coaching situation. Uh, the first thing I want to – the secondary play. I, I mean, listen, I know you were a guy, Alex, that you were an offensive player in, in college and high school and everything, but you obviously know the game. You know defense. You went up against defenses. What was South kind of doing in the secondary? Because, I, I, you know, to me it's like guys like J.C. Horn and Israel McQuamu, you recruit those type of guys to lock down guys like a Juwan Jennings uh, a Marquez Callaway guy. And listen, give those guys their credit. Those are really, really, really good football players, no doubt. But, I mean, it's inexcusable to have Jennings seven for 174 and two touchdowns, Callaway three for 102 and a touchdown, 
And a lot of these passes, you know, you have the big bombs, the breakdown in coverage. But then a lot of these shorter passes, I mean, these guys are wide open. It's not even, like, contested. You're seeing guys run slants, and our guys are 10 yards off them. You know, I mean, what do you, I mean, what do you take away from the secondary play? Because to me, again, it was some shock. And I think now I just can't believe our defensive game plan in the secondary as far as giving these guys so much cushion when you feel like – I mean, again, you're talking about a guy, Israel McQuamu, who had three picks in a game just a few weeks ago. J.C. Horn's a guy who's supposed to be a dude for you, you're supposed to be your top corner – and you're scared to play man-to-man coverage? I mean, what, what did you see from the secondary on Saturday? My gut would tell me, like, and I, obviously I'm not in those meeting rooms, but, you know, looking at it and kind of watching Tennessee's performance throughout the year, I would tell you that they went into that knowing that their number one goal would just be to make Tennessee one-dimensional and try to make them throw the ball. And you're, you're loading the box up, you're trying to stop the run, and – you know, to kind of help offset that or keep guys back a little bit off the line. Because, you know, honestly, like Garantano and then the third team guy, you know, they haven't produced by any stretch of the imagination. You know, so they're not hitting passes like that. It's like all of a sudden, you know, they get confidence and they're starting to hit these throws that we're giving guys 10 yards of cushion on now. You know, if that starts happening in the first and second quarter, I have absolutely no idea why you wouldn't go in at halftime and be like, hey, we're getting beat here. We need to change something up. You know, it was just I, – I, I'm sure you remember the game uh, in the uh, faded uh, John Hoke defensive coordinator era. Oh, yeah. Oh, when sure. uh, Georgia set – or they set an all-time record, or was that just a Georgia record for consecutive completions in a game playing that? Oh, I think it was – I know it was a Georgia record. It might have – I think it actually was an NCAA record. Grayson Lambert. Yeah, I, I'll never forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was it. Um, and so, you know, you're playing the same kind of defense there and just giving them all this cushion. And, you know, you as an offensive coordinator sitting on the other side of the ball for Tennessee, it's like, well, if they're just going to give this to us, we'll keep taking it. And I, I honestly have no idea why you wouldn't have changed that up at some point. But they didn't, and that's what happens. I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot of busted coverages in the back end too, right? Where you had, you know, we're supposed to be playing cover three, and somebody's open on a post route, which shouldn't be able to happen, but that happened several times as well. Yeah, I mean, because like I said, I, I'm, you know, I, I from what I've heard from people, what they say is the reason you play that soft zone is because you don't feel like you have the guys that can play man. Because I mean, if you have a guy that can play man and lock somebody down, why wouldn't you just do it? And, I mean, I understand there's different defensive schemes. And, like you said, you're trying to do different things. But, I mean, especially like you're saying, yeah. the half, where are the halftime adjustments? I mean, you're letting the same guy beat you every play pretty much. I mean, one or two guys. I mean, I just don't understand how going into halftime – and, again, that probably falls back on coaching, which we're going to touch on in a second. But I don't understand how there's not a halftime adjustment to where you're saying, okay, they're beating us here. Like, we're going to adjust. At least try. I mean, at least try it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, but you just keep giving up. And, I mean, you're – you know, the secondary play kind of goes back to what I was going to say next as far as, like, you're – one of the most baffling things to me is Tennessee, obviously their starter, the Maurer kid, was out with a concussion. Jarrett Garantano, who pretty much was on the chopping block going in this game. I mean, Tennessee fans were ready to kick this dude out of the program. 11 for 19, 229, two touchdowns and no picks. And then you have the third stringer, JT Shrout, that comes in. 7 for 11, 122, and a touchdown for 351 total yards passing. How can that happen against this secondary that, again, I believe has some ball players on it? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you would think that based on the performances we've seen. But, you know, kind of to your point, you know, Callaway and uh, – what's the other guy's name? I'm totally uh, Jawan Jennings. Yeah, so Callaway and Jennings are really, really good receivers. So it may have been the plan the entire time. Like, our coach is looking at it like our guys can't play man on these two dudes. So maybe it was just come in there and try to play soft and make them hit those throws, which, again, they hadn't really done – the entire season and all of a sudden it flips but you know it goes back to your point earlier that you know i don't understand how you can come in at halftime and not be like okay we're going to change this mm-hmm. yeah, and just for, you know we'll, we'll just keep doing it <laughs> see if sure. it works out yeah i mean just baffling so let's move into um i want to talk about ryan Holinsky really quickly and then we'll get into the coaching yeah. the play calling all that stuff i mean ryan Holinsky. You know, not again. You, you look at his performance: twenty-eight of fifty-one, three nineteen, a touchdown, no picks. The the stats actually look pretty good, which is crazy. I it's my first time or my second time actually looking at him. And you look at him and you say him out loud, and it's like they look pretty good. I mean, I think he had to throw the ball way too much, obviously. But you take a look at Ryan Linsky's game. I, you know, there are some good things there. There are obviously some things, some things he needs to work on. I think the fans coming at Ryan Holinsky saying he's the reason that the offense is. I, I think that's. Not accurate at all. I think Ryan, for a true freshman, is playing well. I mean, that was really his first big road start, in my opinion. Uh, or, excuse me, the second big road start after the one in Athens. But talk about what you saw from Ryan Holinsky. Because, again, I, you know, I it's a mixed bag for him. It, it really is a mixed bag for him at this point. I think early on in the game, I thought they, they got away from the running game too much. And there's some people that think he might still be hurt, which – I think is a fair assessment. There are definitely some plays where you see him kind of hobbling around and that maybe that knee is not 100%. Um, I, I tend to think as well, Alex, that he's he's playing a little more skittish um, than he was when he first got out there. And I think it may have to go back to that hit that he took at Georgia right in the knee when he went down, was out for the rest of the game. Because before that point, he looked great in that game. And he really, to yeah. me, hasn't looked the same since. He's looked a lot more, like I said, just a lot more skittish. And I think is that maybe the reason he's missing some of these deep throws or throws across the middles? He may be letting it go before he really wants to. Is he really not stepping into the throw? Because um, he looks to have happy feet at times. I mean, just talk about what you're seeing from Ryan Holinsky, um in his game right now and where you think he needs to improve going forward. I mean, the, I mean, the biggest thing watching him is just the, the passes aren't super accurate. At this point, whether that's on deep ball, crossing routes, you know, out routes towards mm-hmm. the sidelines, anything like that. And, you know, given that, you know, the sample size we saw him operate under before Alabama, which is when the injury occurred to his shoulder, was it shoulder or elbow? It was elbow, yep. Mm-hmm. Elbow. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, watching him against Charleston Southern, watching him against Alabama, and then every single game from there on out, it's looked like something's wrong. And now you've kind of tacked on a knee to that that happened at Georgia. So, you know, you know, again, you know, you watch, you watch the first play to Shy Smith, perfect ball thrown in between like three guys, hits him in stride. Mm -hmm. He's gone. Right. You know, everything past that, because I believe, and I'm not looking at the stat and I should be, but like after that first pass, I think he was something like two of 10, for the next yeah, 10. He, he had he had a rough start to the game after that first throw for sure. Yeah, and it's and I I hundred I one I think he's hurt mm. too, or you know kind of off the bat, and then two I think a lot of that's coming from he's not stepping into things or his elbow hurts. He's having to throw from a different angle than he's accustomed to. So like for me, watching him, like looking at the progression from 
Charleston Southern to Alabama, and then everything that's happened post-Alabama, you know, you're going to get one or two throws a game that are right on the money. But, you know, watching intermediate and short routes and then trying to throw deep balls in pressure, I think I think he's hurt. And I mean, that's just my two cents. Do you think it's, you know, because it's funny, the, the run game has been so good this year, but Helensky's taken a beating. I mean, let's just put it that mm-hmm. He has taken a beating. I, I mean – do you because he obviously has the arm talent? I mean, do you think oh, yeah. it's just something as I mean, because it doesn't sound like it's anything mechanical. I mean, do you think it's just as simple as like he's you know wary of those injuries and doesn't want to get hit? I mean, because I mean, that's that, that's that's fair, I think that is fair. You know, it's it's unfortunate, but it is fair because he's taken a bunch of shots this year. Because I mean, it just like you're saying, it, it's it seems to be a couple of things, but really him being hurt and I think fearing getting hurt more severely. That to me it just seems like that has to be the answer is why his accuracy suffered so badly because obviously like you said we've seen him do it I mean it's he has the physical tools it's not that it's to me it's got to be something else yeah and when you say mechanically do you mean like throwing motion like yeah like I, I don't think his throwing motion has really changed all that much now an injury could force it to change I'm not saying that but like he he has good mechanics he's has good enough mechanics obviously or he would have never gotten to this level and had success like he did early on is what I'm saying. Right. So yeah, I don't think no, it's, I, I, yeah. I no, I was gonna say I don't I don't think it really has anything to do with him not wanting to take a shot. I really think it's you know, especially well, I mean you play baseball, so you understand all the mechanics of like, you know, stepping right. into things and trying to finish all the way through. Throwing with conviction. Like, yeah, throwing with conviction, right. Exactly. And it doesn't look to me like he's doing that right now. I could be wildly wrong on that, but just mm. watching it, it doesn't look like he's doing that right now. And I really think a lot of it has to do with he either is, is what he's pushing off of, especially in his base where he got hit mm-hmm. in the knee, something's off there. It doesn't feel right to him. And he's trying to figure out a way to keep pushing through that. And it's just causing these inaccuracies is what, like my gut reaction to watching him play. Because again, you know, to your point, we've seen him do this stuff before, and mm-hmm. it, you know, at a high level against Alabama, it's just coming yeah. out there and slinging the ball all over the field and then you get an elbow injury there, and all of a sudden you're not doing it anymore. And then it gets a little bit better at UGA, and then all of a sudden you got a knee injury. And now you're trying to fight through, you know, arguably the two most important components <laughs> of any mechanical motion. And, you know, if, if neither one of those things are 100%, your balls aren't going to be 100%. So I think that's just kind of what we're seeing. For sure. So this, this kind of leads me, Alex, into – I guess the coaching side of things, but sort of sticking with Helensky and the play calling and stuff like that. I mean, what, what do you think? Cause like you're saying, I, I agree with you as far as I don't see the conviction that he once had as far as, you know, the confidence on his throws and being accurate. I mean, you know, and I, I think Muschamp actually said on Sunday afternoon, they were going to try to simplify some things, dumb some things down. And he didn't really give specifics as to what, but how much of that do you think comes back to, I mean, do you think they need to do something different as far as play calling in the past plays? I mean, do you think he's, is he thinking a little bit too much back there? I mean, are they throwing too much at him at once? Because obviously it's a thing where, hey, the kid is a true freshman. Granted, he's a very gifted and talented true freshman, but, you know, and you need to go win football games, but at the same time, he is a freshman. And, I mean, he's not going to know the playbook the way he knows it this time next year or the, the year after that or the year after that. I mean, do you think they need to dial it back a little bit and make give him some easier reads, easier throws? Or, I mean, or do you think that would have any impact on his game at all? I mean, that's a – I mean, that's a really, really good question. I think the only way – I mean, I, I have no idea what kind of offensive system he ran in high school, but when you start to 
like come into that higher level and you kind of get thrust into that role quickly into an offensive system, you know, you've spent six months tops in and now all of a sudden you're trying to make reads on run pass options. You know, they've kind of even made it more complicated than that now where you've got swing passes in it and you got, uh, you know, halfback dives in it and then you've got other short routes around the field. So, you know, it, it could certainly be something like that where you just want to pull that back where it's just like, okay, we're going to do just this. And that may, you know, help them from a confidence standpoint on kind of what they need to do there. But I don't know. I, I, I think if you can dumb it down or not even necessarily dumb it down, but if you can just simplify it a little bit to where, you know, we're only going to do this mm-hmm. or we're only going to hand it off here. You know, I think that certainly would give him, less of a chance to worry that he's going to make a mistake and just help build confidence from that. Cause it's not like, you know, he handed it off when he should have thrown it and you come back to the sideline and get an earful about it. If you know, that was the play call, that was the play call. Right. Or you could even do it to the point where, you know, it's his decision on kind of what the front lines up as. And it's not something you have to do like while the play is happening. And it's not to say that he can't do these things. It's just, you know, if you've never done that before, trying to do it at that level, like mm-hmm. right off the bat in a frenzied away stadium that a hundred thousand people are sitting there screaming is not the best way to learn that. Right. So, right. you know, just trying to, if, if you can simplify it for them just to say, look, we're, we're going to take these options out. We're just going to run the play that's called. I think that may help, mm-hmm. but you know, that I mean, that again kind of circles back to coaching there. For sure. I, I was going to say, Alex, this is a perfect segue into uh, talking about the coaching, the play calling, um, obviously, a lot of people, you know, with, with questions, concerns regarding the play calling, which is very fair. I mean, I had, I had concerns as well. It, it's the play calling on Saturday, I thought Alex was, you know, first off, I thought South Carolina abandoned the run for whatever reason early to start the game, which confused me when that's kind of become your identities to pound the football and, you know, work the play action and, you know, really lean on your running game. Um, but the play calling as a whole right now, it doesn't look very imaginative. You get down to the goal line, you run the same play basically three times in a row. You, you really barely get in. I mean, it's just – there's no flow. There, there's no flow. There's no rhyme or reason as to why we're doing this, why we're doing that. And obviously the lack of execution on South Carolina's end makes it look even worse. But obviously the play calling has been under much scrutiny, very deservedly so, you know, in, in the Florida game and then now. And the thing that blows my mind the most, Alex, is – because everybody wants to come after Brian McClendon, it's fair. He's the OC. He calls the plays. How can this man look like a genius one week and a complete idiot the next? Like, how, how can you go from having such good prepared game plans ready for one week but then look so incompetent the next? You know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't understand. I mean, what are you – when you're watching these games, when you watch the game Saturday, did the play calling stand out to you at all? I mean, was it the play calling that was the issue? Or do you think it's more execution or is it a mix of both? I mean, I, I think it's a mix of both. I, yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's it's puzzling where you'll get. You know, I mean, the third. I mean, the goal line three plays in a row is a perfect example of that. Um, and I, I don't. I don't think it should. I don't think it necessarily needs to entirely fall on McClendon at this point because, again, just from a track record standpoint. I mean, I, 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 I've never seen like a confirmation or a denial one way or the other about like how much 
influence Muschamp has on the game plan. And, you know, if it's you get into those situations, you're like, this is what we need to do, and he's just doing that, or if he's allowed to operate freely. I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you've seen confirmation on that one way and or the other, you, but I never have. You hit the nail on the head, Alex, because there hasn't been a confirmation or denial or anything. That's my biggest thing is that, listen, okay, after this season, and we're going to talk about Muschamp, I've already confirmed, you know, listen, I, I, everybody knows my stance on Will Muschamp and how I feel about him leading the Gamecocks program. But let's face the reality, he ain't going anywhere. But Brian McClendon probably will. Like, if this season continues the way it's going, there's a decent chance Brian McClendon is going to be looking for a new job. And here's the thing, like, like you're saying, this team and this offense reeks of having Will Muschamp's fingerprints all over it. Like, this isn't the first time this has happened. And, I mean, what scares yeah. me, and I'm kind of looking, you know, I'm kind of looking ahead here, but what scares me is even if you get rid of Byron McClendon, what offensive coordinator worth a damn is going to want to come work for Will Muschamp? Will Muschamp is where offensive coordinators go to die. I mean, really, yeah. though. I mean, he's never had an offensive coordinator flourish under him. I mean, because all he – you know, all these guys in this coaching profession, they want to go somewhere where it's going to set them up for the next big thing, right? I mean, you know, I'm sure a lot of these guys want to be head coaches. I think Brian McClendon probably wants to be a head coach. So it reeks of having his fingerprints all over it, all over the offensive game plan, because how else can you reasonably justify what's going on? Which, again, this leads me into the whole must-champ discussion. And, you know – Alex, I know we talked off air, obviously, and, you know, I, I said on my show, you know, I've had the same feelings and the same energy about Will Muschamp and my feelings on his leadership of the program since the clock hit zero in Charlotte, North Carolina. That, that was the breaking point for me where I said, you know, I don't think this is the guy. I don't think this is the guy to be leading us for obvious reasons that happened in that UNC game, and then it rears its ugly head again against Tennessee. Because, again, we, we, you and I even talked after the Georgia game. Um, that Georgia win's great. Obviously, that win is great. And I had a lot of people ask me, oh, do you want to apologize to Will Muschamp? Oh, you're, you're firing Muschamp, Tate. You look, <laughs> look pretty silly now. And I'm like, I'm like hey, I love it because I, I want to see us win. You know, I've said it a million times. I want to see Will Muschamp shove it up my ass. I mean, I really do. But, yeah. you know, you beat Georgia and it's like, well, let, what do you do with it? You know, what do you do with it? And, again, I, we talked about the Florida game. Nobody's going to come after you and, you know, scream bloody murder because you lost to a top 10 Florida team but I said after Georgia if you lose to Florida then you get upset in Knoxville we're right back where we started and I mean what do you know and you don't just lose in Knoxville you get pummeled by a at the time two and five Tennessee team that is a walking dumpster fire that's ready to just throw the whole program away they beat you by three touchdowns so I mean again everybody knows where I stand Alex on the whole Will Muschamp era the Will Muschamp uh, I, I don't think he's the guy and when, when I say he's not the guy, he's not the guy to get South Carolina back to Atlanta. That's how I justify it. And I think it's funny, the fans that come out and say, well, how can you make that the standard? We've only been there once. If the standard and the expectation is not for us to get to Atlanta and compete for a championship, why do we even have a football program? I mean, because th that's, that's the expectation Steve Spurrier left, like you've talked about before. I mean, that is the expectation. Did it always happen? No, it only happened once. But the reason those teams were so good at the end of his tenure was because that was the goal. I mean, that, that was the goal. I mean, we I had Kyle Nunn on the show last week that was on that 2011 team that won 11 games. And for a guy that won 11 games, first team in school history, the biggest thing I took away from his interview was how disappointed he was they didn't reach the ultimate goal, which was going to Atlanta and winning the SEC. So, you know, to me, it's like if that's not the goal here, what's the point? You know what I mean? So, anyways, I've rambled enough. I mean, when you take a look at this program – Will Muschamp, 
I mean, just what are your thoughts as of right now, Tuesday, October the 29th, on where this program sits under Will Muschamp? So first, let me say, I think it's hilarious that Twitter eggs are demanding an apology from you for a guy <laughs> that makes $92,000 a week. Um, right. So let's start there. Um, yep. Number two, fortunately, or perhaps unfortunately, I've got timestamped tweets of how upset I was at this hire on the get-go. And you, well, know, I, you definitely I, were not alone in that camp. And I, I, it's funny, I wasn't even in that camp when he was hired. But at best, the, the, the fan base was split 50-50. Let's just call it for what it is. And, you know, and the thing is, is like I have the exact same feeling that you do where, like, I hope he comes in and proves me horrifically wrong. But it, that's not going to happen. So, like, what ultimately what's got to go on here is, you know, I see all kinds of – I see all kinds of tweets on Twitter or stuff on message boards, and it's like, well, we can't do this because who are we going to go get – and, you know, all of this other stuff. And the thing is, like, where we are today with the staff we've got in place, heads coach, athletic director, all that fun stuff. Like, if we want to get back to where we were, like, we don't need any of these people in place anymore. Like, you know what? It was a great, you know, maybe it was the best option we had. I, do, I definitely don't think it was in 2015 by any stretch of the imagination. But – you know, that is the hire that was made. And we're sitting here four years into this and we've gone nowhere. We've gone absolutely nowhere. Like we've gotten better and better recruits. We've got good talent on the team. We don't win. And that's exactly what happened at Florida. And, you know, for everybody that says, well, we're going to let the season play out and see what happens. You don't. There's no reason to do that. Absolutely none. Like you've got, you've got to make a decision here as a university president, as an athletic director, what do you want this team to be? And you, and you know what, the, you know what this, the scary thing is about let it play out? I mean, sure, let it play out. We may win every game we have left, but we could damn sure lose every game we've got left too. Like, that's a possibility. Well, well and, uh, you know, I see the argument like, you know, you're going to lose recruits if you let him go. And I'm like, well, if you continue to lose football games and just piddle around, you're going to lose them anyway. So <laughs> – what you've got to like what you what we've got to make a decision. I say we. What the people who make such decisions have to say is what do we want this program to be, and then from there, you know, you got to look at okay, how do we get it to that point? And continuing to do this is never going to get us to that point. Like I'm sure Will Muschamp's a nice guy. Players seem to love him. He can't do this. They loved him at Florida at too, though. That's the thing. Yeah, and that's fine. Like he's a he's a nice guy, but he can't do the job. Right. And that's the bottom line. And it's like, you know, if we look at it, it, look at it, if you look at it from like a financial perspective and you say, you know, if we were hypothetically, let's say you could, you know, sell the Gamecocks in like a professional sports transaction. Right. right? So that we're worth somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred and eighty five million dollars, not including real estate and facilities. Mm. So, you know, you're asking somebody who's never run a business. And, and look, Ray Tanner is a hero baseball coach, and he would be a legend at South Carolina forever. But this is not the same thing. Right. Like, you're running, uh, again, a $300 million business and trying to make those decisions to steer it forward. And you've never mm -hmm. done anything like that before. Yep. And now, you know, everybody, you, you get people talking about, well, you know, we're not going to fire him because of the buyout. You know, and then you look at it as, you know, on the other side of that transaction, okay, well, what is this costing us in years down the road to not make that move? 
And then the other argument I always see is like, well, who are you going to go get? Okay. And that's a fair question. But the thing is, is like our net revenue from a program standpoint is a hair over $47 million. Like paying all the coordinators, what we're paying them now, paying Will Muschamp. Like if you're going to make a splash here and you want to give the fans back what they have put decades of their life into with not getting a ton of return, like you've got to spend money and go get somebody. And I don't know who would say yes or who would say no, but if I'm Ray Tanner, like I'm driving to Urban Meyer's front door and I'm saying, here's $10 million when you coach my football team. And if he says no, then I drive to Bob Stoops' house and I say, will you coach our football team for $10 million? And just down the line, you've got to get, and look, you know, I don't want to play the, the retread game any more than we already have with, you know, we, Lou Holtz came in, Steve Spurrier comes in, and now we're sitting on Will Muschamp. But on the back end of that, like, yeah, I looked at Urban Meyer's, like, coaching record the other day, and I think, and I'm going to tell you this wrong, I'll correct myself if I do, I think he's only lost, like, 27 games in his entire coaching career, and Will Muschamp's lost 22 since he's been in South Carolina. Right. So, you know, if you, like, I can't imagine the boosters wouldn't be on board for that, and you got you to gotta go do this to move it in the right direction. Otherwise, it's just, you know, we're going to be business as usual as South Carolina football that goes – Six and six, seven and five, eight and four, rinse and repeat. And the, and the right. frustrating thing is, like, that's what it was the entire period before Steve Spurrier got there. Yeah. You know, and then you reel off 11 straight wins, and we're right back to where we've always been historically. And fortunately, there's a lot of fan frustration in that because, you know, as the saying goes, you can't go back to the farm once you've seen Paris. And that's what, what that's what's happening. And I think that's a lot of that fan frustration bubbling up from that but the thing is is like and why i get frustrated when i read the stuff on twitter or on message boards it's just like we can't do that da, da, da. There, there's absolutely no reason we can't do any of those things i just said we have plenty of money as an athletic department and a university and if they're gonna punt on this and continue to let this play out that tells you all you need to know about their feelings for the football program. Right. And, you know, it's funny when you say, you know, because I've seen it as well. People saying, like, who are you going to go get? And my first reaction to that is, I mean, like, I, we could go get anybody and they could go six and six. I mean, I, I, you think it'd be that hard to find a coach to come in and go six and six? I mean, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, would hope not. I would hope not either. Like, there is talent here. There, it's not like we're playing with nothing. Like, there is talent. But, you know, it's funny. You, you talk about, you know, and I agree with you, you got to go get a guy. But, it's funny. I'm not even. I'm on the other side of this of this of the stick. Is whereas I'd kind of like going to get just some dark horse guy, like some guy who's maybe never never even coached in the SEC, doesn't have an SEC footprint, like a guy who hasn't coached at another big school. Like I mean, you know, I, you don't you not everyone. It's not going to work out this way for every other team. Like it's it's a once in a one in a billion chance. But look at the Dabo Sweeney effect. I mean, they just rolled the dice and took a chance on a guy like. I'd rather just go get a guy who is maybe an unknown. He's an offensive mind, younger guy. He can recruit maybe like the head coach at Memphis or wherever. Like, I, you know, I just don't – what I'm sick of seeing is getting guys who were washouts at their former schools. And, I mean, I'm not throwing Steve Spurrier in that category, but it's like let's go get a guy and make him ours. Like, screw it. Let's take a chance. Because, like I said, I, I really feel like any coach worth his snuff is going to be able to get South Carolina to a bowl game, if nothing else. But – Maybe he is the next Nick Saban. Maybe this guy is the next Dabo Sweeney. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? But yeah. 
like it's yeah, like it's, why, well, the, I think that's what really frustrates people with the must champ thing is like and and what kind of frustrates me talking to fans it's like why are we giving this guy so much the benefit of the doubt he's never won yeah. like Steve Spurrier everybody says well we gave Steve Spurrier till year six and that's when he got it going Steve Spurrier was a Hall of Fame coach that had won a national title and multiple SEC titles like. When Steve Spurrier spoke, you listened. I mean, he, you listen. He's a proven winner. And so you had that faith that, all right, this guy's going to figure it out. This guy is going to get it turned around because he's done it before. I mean, why are we giving Will Muschamp the benefit of the doubt here? He's never done anything. He's never won anything of significance. I, I, I mean, it's, it's, I honestly have no idea. It doesn't make any sense to me. Because I, I honestly don't know what you're hoping to get out of it. Because, like, at this point, you've seen all you need to see. And, I, what, what, like, what are you hoping the next step is? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I said, I just – I don't know that, how – I just – I welcome anyone that wants to have a conversation with me to tell me all of the reasons why he is the guy. Because maybe if there's something maybe I'm not seeing or not understanding clearly, I'd love to know. But I just don't know how you can reasonably sit here and say – He's the guy that's going to get us back to Atlanta. Like, I, I just – and, again, if you're not playing for that, what's the point? Like, why are we even going to games? Why are you spending money? Like, do you want to win a championship? Because, I mean, like you're saying, before Steve Spurrier got there, going to a bowl game and beating Clemson once every three years, that was good enough. Like, that's kind of what South Carolina football was. It really was in a nutshell. But this is 2019, and you've done some things that had never been done here before – and the expectations are different. They just flat out are, and they should be. Like, I, you know, I, I said on the show yesterday, I don't want to pull for a loser. I, I don't think anybody else does either, but, like, I don't want to pull for a loser. I want to see as you're either getting better or you're getting worse. And we gave Will Muschamp the benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt and said there was progress being made after the Georgia game. But that loss to Tennessee, you just wiped away all of that. Like, it's gone. And now you're facing a Vanderbilt team that's dangerous, an App State team that's ranked. You have to go to College Station. I know a and is not a great team, but you have to go there. And then you play Clemson. I mean, this, this thing doesn't seem to be going the right direction anytime soon. Really quick, Alex, because we're going to run out of time here, but I want to ask you one last question. Wrap it up with this. What would you have said if I told you, let's say we're having a conversation, December 2015, Will Muschamp just got hired, or the day after he gets hired, we're having a conversation, I say, Alex, Year four, Will Muschamp's going to miss a bowl game. I mean, what would what would your thought process have been if I just said that? I would have agreed with you based on historical <laughs> evidence. I, I would have thought there's no way he's still our head coach after that. Like, there's just no way. No, it, and 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 honestly, like I I don't think he will be. I really don't. I think if they, I think if we miss a bowl game, it's over. Because I think you've got a new president in there. Who wants to put his stamp on things? Right. I mean, I don't know what that. I don't know what that means for Tanner and his whole crew. But uh, like, truthfully, like, I, I don't. I just don't think if we go. Well, let's see what we got. What we got? A and M, Vandy, A and M, App State, Vandy, and Clemson. So I mean, you're, I, you're realistically. I mean, you're really looking at two and two. I mean, it's a five yeah, and so seven we, can. Could be four and eight. I mean, I, I don't want to be pessimistic, but it's just possible. It could be four and eight. Um, making yeah. a bowl game is going to be very tough at this point. Yeah, so, I mean, it, truthfully, I think based on some things that I've heard that if you miss a bowl game here, I think the whole administration's out. And, you know, if somehow you – if you rally 
and win three of those games, mm-hmm. I don't know what it changes going forward. All right. So – I mean, because, you're just you're just realistically, and I hate, I hate to say this, but 2020, you're just going to be staring in another six and six year because the talk is going to be the same as was going to this year. Well, the schedule's brutal, and you lose these guys, and it's going to be the same thing. I mean, it really, it really, it really is. It is, and and the, and that's the thing. And I was, you know, obviously very pessimistic about the hire. I don't want to be because you know it's like we were talking about after the Georgia game. You know, there was a period of time there when it was fun wake up on Saturday and get excited about the game mm-hmm. and go to the game and tailgate and just enjoy it because we were, the sun was shining on us right. and we've retrenched in, you know, with a coach that 50% of the fan base didn't want. It's and, not and the majority of the nation knew was a loser. Let's just throw that yeah, out there. Too. It, it, I mean, yeah, you it, go on Twitter week in and week out, you're seeing national pundits trash this man every week. I mean, it's so, you know, whatever that means, but you know, it, it, it happens. So, but yeah, uh, and it's just, you know, it just, it, it really just sucks the fun out of it in a way. Yeah. And it's, it's a roller coaster you don't want to be that you didn't like agree to get on and somebody else told you you had to get on it. And <clears throat> then they want you to be happy when you get right. stuck upside down in the first loop. Yeah, for sure. Well, Hey, Alex, appreciate it, man. Uh, we'll do it again next Tuesday as always, but always appreciate you taking the time and giving your insight. Absolutely, buddy. All right, perfect. So for Alex McGrath, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.